0: Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. friend this question that that you've always wanted to ask but you've been hesitant to ask because you didn't want to get the flack from what that person would think of you these questions are so fun because people are just like i think these are the questions you actually truly want to know you don't want to care about what my favorite color is you don't want to care you know there's all all these questions that you actually truly want to know and i'm excited to take one that uh, i have been excited about for a while here and it's simply this asking for a friend why do I need to read the Bible? I come to church, you preach from the Bible, like all that's good, but why do I personally need to read the Bible? And I think that question is honestly connected to a much deeper question, a question that's even more vulnerable, is how do I read the Bible, right? Because it's one thing if it, when it's a pastor and he opens up this big book, it just, maybe it makes sense. It feels like maybe, okay, yeah, you naturally understand how to do it. But when you sit here and go, this could literally make me taller than my wife, which says a lot if I were to stand on top of it, all right? That shows you how big this book is. And you go, how in the world do I begin to read this Book It can be a very, very like, troubling or insecure part of who we are. But we're not alone. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 8. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. See, Philip was an apostle or a disciple. He was one of the 12 dudes that followed Jesus around for three different years. And this is in the book of Acts. Acts, which is after Jesus came and died on the cross, rose from the grave, and then went back up into heaven. And now the disciples apostles are charged with telling people about who Jesus is. So Philip is just walking around from town to town when he gets this angel who says, Hey, Philip, I want you to go to this specific road. I love Philip. Verse 27. So he started out. If we, if someone was like, hey, Derek, I want you just to jump in your truck and drive down Zenon Road, I'd be like, and then what? Just drive down Zenon Road? I'd be like, no, like I'm not doing that. It's very, very obscure in this moment. But an angel says, hey, Philip, go to this road. So Philip said this. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Aha, here's the reason why. Philip is walking down this road when coming against him is this chariot. See, if you, had, if you were a government official, if you were someone who was important... A chariot, you didn't have to walk. Walking's overrated. You had a chariot. You had someone pulling you. And so as Philip is walking, he sees his chariot. And inside of the chariot, unbeknownst to him, there's this man who is an important, important guy. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. If you were to open up this Bible, go to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, he's reading that exact same thing. And the spirit told Philip, I want you to go to that chariot and just stay near it. Just stay near it. See, what he didn't know at the time is what we see in verse 30. So Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man inside reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. How can I understand what I'm reading unless someone explains it to me? See, I think as pastors, as leaders, as church people, we do a disservice sometimes because we get up on stage and we go, You got to read your Bible. It's so important to be anchored in this word. You got to be praying for stuff, right? Like if you're going through something, you just got to pray and pray and pray. If you're doing something bad, just stop doing it. It's easy, right? We get up on stage. and It's one of those things where it feels like what we say seems easy. Yet when you walk out the doors and you go back into your life, it's going, I don't get this. I don't understand. Like, yeah, I felt good about it on Sunday when Derek was looking awesome in his pink shirt, but now you lost me. Like, the heart is pure in the sentiment. Like, yes, I truly believe we all need to be in this Bible because it's an experience. It's a gateway into knowing who God is and experiencing him for real. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. It brings life to the reader. But I think so often, if we're really honest, we feel just like that Ethiopian. We can open it up and read it, but we don't understand it. See, what's happening is he's on his way from Jerusalem, which is in the Middle East, up north and east. He's going down to Gaza, or not Gaza, I'm sorry, to Ethiopia, which is in Africa. It's a long, long, long journey. And the reason he was in Jerusalem is because he was worshiping God. That was the place where you would worship God. So he went to worship and he saw all these great things. He saw people worshiping. He saw God doing cool things, but we can tell he's still hungry because he's reading a scroll. Scrolls were expensive, really, really expensive. And because he was an official, he was probably able to purchase it, but he's reading it on his way back home. He's reading the scroll because he just wants more of God. But the problem is he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. As a freshman in college, I, as a lot of you know I was at North Dakota State University studying chemistry. Why I did that, not sure. Terrible life decision. It's very, very tough. But I was fortunate enough to be pretty good in my class, and I, I was doing things really, really well. And I, one of those things where I was a really good student, like I was always front row, right in front of the teacher. You don't get voted most likely to be teacher's pet in high school unless you work for it. See, my wife got the prom queen, so I got the prom queen, and she got the nerd. So there's hope for everybody out there. But truth be told, I seriously was like, I was like this student. Like, I was always on, cl- on time to class, groggy as ever, but I was on time. I was front row, and the teacher knew it. She knew I was a good student, and this professor was an absolute genius. She was Russian, so she had a thick Russian accent, terrifying, literally terrifying. Like, if she looked at you wrongly, like, you feared for your life. She was scary, but she was very, very intelligent, and so here I was, like, I'm going through this, this, this one point in class where I just don't get the concept she's teaching, and so I, like, and we're gonna, I set up an office appointment with her to go and ask her this question, and I'm feeling good about it, right? Like you kind of play through scenarios in your way on the way to thinking. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. She's going to know this student is, is coming outside of class hours. She's going to be so impressed with me by the questions I ask. It's going to be awesome. And so I uh, knock on the door, and I hear, what? And I'm like, okay, we're off to a great start. I open the door. I sit down, ask my question. And what she tells me to this day, might as well have been in German because I had no idea what she said. I asked her my question and she like, started rattling off all these chemistry terms. And I'm like, come again? Like, I don't understand what you're saying. And she looks at me and she goes, how do you understand this? How do you, like, I'm convinced she called me stupid at some point in this berating. Because she would just, like, let me have it. Like, how do you not understand this? Because she was so wise. She was so smart. She literally won, like, some fellowships and scholarships just a tier below a Nobel Peace Prize. She was so smart, but she couldn't come down to my level. Like, like the base knowledge that she assumed I had, I didn't have. So when she tried to explain it to me, she got frustrated because I didn't get it. I didn't get it. When we don't get what we want to get, we just we shut down. I walked out of that office and I was like, I just feel dumb. I feel so dumb. I don't even want to study chemistry anymore, right? Like, this is, this is why did I come here? And then I had some buffalo wild wings and it was good after that. But it's one of those things where when we don't get something, we shut down. And it's why I, I really believe... When we look at this book and we don't get it, we just don't read it. It's not just this book. Literacy in America. Gallup is a research facility. They did a study in 2022, and they found this. Americans, on average, read 12.6 books during the past year. So in 2022, the national average of books read by Americans was 12.6. Now I was feeling really good about myself because I was doing goals for this year. I was like, "Oh, I read like three books last year. I'm crushing it!" And then I read this, and I'm like, "Sweet, I'm a fourth of the average." But this is this is just an average of everybody else. So, um, you know, but the problem with that is this average at 12.6 was about two to three books below what the average was every year, dating back to 2000. As a general rule of thumb, we are reading less as Americans. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Technology has brought a lot of different options for us. I don't know about anybody else in here, but now I've seen podcasts are on the rise. Like I listen to podcasts very frequently. There's different audio books. There's articles. There's blogs. There's something called TLDR. It means too long, didn't read it. So these these long articles that would take minutes and 10, 20, 30 minutes to read, they have a little Spark Notes version at the top of the article saying like, "Hey, if you don't want to read this whole thing, here's just the Spark Notes version." We are finding less and less of a desire to read. And it's not just normal books, it's the Bible as well. As a youth pastor, something I heard from many different sources, many different books, many different pastors, and something I experienced as well was Generation Z as a whole. The generation after mine, the generation of our teenagers, is the most biblically illiterate generation of all time. All time. Meaning as a whole, they know the least biblical knowledge of any other generation prior to them. Stories like David and Goliath, Adam and Eve in the garden, the apple, the fall of man, all of those things are no longer ingrained into our teenagers, and it's not just them. LifeWay Research, another research facility found this. Less than 50% of Americans know the names of all four Gospels. 60% of American Christians cannot name five of the Ten Commandments and many Christians cannot name two or three of the disciples by name. On the other side of the spectrum, they found this millions of Americans who answered this poll. They found 34% read the Bible daily and 50% on the other side of the spectrum read the Bible two times or less over the course of the whole year, which includes people who had never opened it at all. Now, What's happening as I share all those stats is one of two things. The first thing being like, wow, that's pretty crazy research. Like, I'm glad you're preaching on this, Derek. You're a genius. Thanks, guys. But the second more honest thing, the more real thing is maybe you feel like you're in that statistic and it doesn't feel good. I remember being around some of my friends who are really, really good with motors. They know how to change the engine in their car when it blows up. When their transmission's lying on the highway, they go, no big deal, I'll fix it. I don't know how to change my oil. I don't. I I have no clue. If you said, hey, how do you fix your oil? I'd say, it's easy. I drive it to the mechanic, I give them my money, and it's changed. It's easy. But when I'm around them and they sit there and they talk about all these different things, I physically don't get it. Like, my brain is not wired that way. And when they talk about it more and more, and like, when they find out I don't change my own oil, they let me know. Like, you're dumb. You are so dumb. We love you, but you're dumb. And it's one of those things where I kind of laugh and cry on the inside. But like, what happens, everybody, is when you hear those stats, you're going, "I I don't know a single name of the four Gospels. Frankly, I don't know what the Gospels are. I don't know a single one of the Ten Commandments. I think don't kill somebody is one of them, but beyond that, I don't know. And you sit here, and you're waiting for me to just, like, hit you, like, can you believe these guys don't know this? You're waiting for the guilt trip. You're waiting for the, I don't, I've never done that. And so it can feel ostracizing. You know what happens when you bring up those kinds of statistics? It makes you all the less likely to actually look into this book. Why? Why? Because you don't understand it. It doesn't maybe, it, when, when we feel outside of our element, it's less likely for us to dive into it on our own. So here's the deal. I want to tackle why we got to start reading the Bible. but I think we got to start with how do you start reading the Bible? Because it's one of those things, if you are in that stat, I don't want you to walk out of this place feeling discouraged or dumb. I want you to feel empowered that what's in this book is amazing and literally everyone and anyone can look into it so let's understand what the bible is okay this is a book a really tall book harry potter's got nothing on this thing it's huge but it's one book with 66 miniature books inside of it there are 66 books of the bible you open it up and you see exodus that's the book of exodus you open it up and you see the book of psalms that's a book okay There's an Old Testament, which is all the things previous to Jesus. From the moment God created everything we see to the moment Jesus comes is all in the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, all originally written in Hebrew. In the New Testament, that's when Jesus is born and everything that comes out after Jesus is in the New Testament. And that's written in Greek. There's 27 books of that. Now, what's important to understand is while it would make sense, this book is not inherently chronological. If you open it up and read Genesis chapter 1 until the end of Revelation, it's not linear. It won't just like make sense as a normal timeline. It kind of it kind of goes here and then jumps backwards and then jumps over here, then jumps over here, then jumps way over here, and then jumps back. It's not Linear. So if you just open up the Bible, you know, page one and read to the page two thousand, you're gonna be a little confused. So what's helpful is to read it book by book. To pick the book of Matthew, read Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter three, so on and so forth. Because each book tells a different part of the story from a different author. If you read the book of Matthew, Matthew wrote that book. So it's from his perspective. It's everything that Matthew saw about Jesus from his perspective. You open the book of John, same thing, but from a different perspective. Similar to how if you went to a sporting event and this guy sat courtside, right in center court, and someone sat up in the nosebleeds, they'd experience different things because they're in different vantage points. Same thing with the Bible, different authors, same story. But each one offers different perspective and we believe that this is divinely inspired which means god through the holy spirit took the human experiences of these people who penned it to paper and they're true and they're real so what should you do just pick it up and read you could but again it might be a little confusing so let me help us with a more strategic approach the ethiopian said how can i understand unless someone explains it to me, So I got four steps for you. They're not going to be on the screen. You don't have to just pay attention to me because I'm awesome. And so here's the first step. Step number one, if you want to know how to read the Bible, find a translation that works for you. This book is written in many different translations and versions. All right? So if you look at the spine of a Bible, there's going to be three letters underneath it. One might say NIV. One might say NLT. One might say KJV. That last letter is either translation or version. So you have to find a translation that works for you. When I had to read Shakespeare in high school, I would have rather shoved a fork through my leg. It was not pleasant. It didn't understand it, all right? And so that kind of language, if you read in King James, the, the King James Version, it's got that old English to it, that, that Shakespearean language. It's a great translation, but for me, I didn't understand it. I don't care what you're saying. So I had to find a translation that worked for me. If you want to look at recommendations, I highly recommend the NIV and the NLT. If, now I'm on the spot. Okay. Um, but basically, it's one of those things. If you want to have, it's New Living Translation. And I, there's a name that's not super good that my father-in-law likes to make fun of for the NIV. So I'm not going to go into that. But NIV and NLT are both really, really good translations. Uh, and if you want to come you know, ask me what I would recommend, Please do so. But my point is you have to find a translation that works for you. It doesn't do you any good to read the Bible if you don't know or understand what it's saying. So find a translation that works for you. If you have a digital Bible, like an app on your phone, you can scroll through the hundred different translations and just pick which one you want. It's really, really awesome. That's step one. Find a translation that works for you. The second one is this. Find a spot and a time. I have two little rugrats that run around and body slam each other frequently. And it's loud. And you throw the dog into the mix of it, and it's pure chaos. So if I sit down at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning in the middle of my living room, and I try to open up my Bible, guarantee there's going to be a dog who bumps into me. It's going to be loud to where you can't even understand what's happening, and it's not going to go super well. So my wife, who uh, is awesome in every sense of the word, can get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and that's her quiet time. She's got a spot on the couch and a time that she can connect with God. It's different than mine. Mine's at 10 p.m. when everything else is quiet. I can get alone and just meet with God. Some people like having the physical copy of the Bible. Some people like having it on their phone. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Why? Because you have to have something that works for you. Number three, have a plan. Have a plan. I said this first service when I first started reading the Bible had no idea how to read it so I kind of did the Bible roulette which was kind of like this all right god speak to me and start reading and frankly made even less sense, right? Because you're picking up in the middle of the story. Imagine you pick up a newspaper and did the exact same thing. If you don't know what the context of the situation is, it's confusing. So have a plan. There's some really good plans about for beginners, about for experienced people. If you want to tackle the Bible in a year, you can do that. They have different plans to suit your lifestyle. That's step number three. But step number four is simply this. Ask questions. I will tell you this with a large amount of confidence. If you go into your Bible reading, assuming you're going to have the answer to every single question possible, it's going to be a rough ride. I went to a Bible college for four years. I studied the Bible a bunch. This week, frequently, as I'm reading it, there are still things that come up that I needed more clarification with, which is not a big deal. Why? Because there are some scholars out there who know a lot more than I do. And Google is awesome. When I have a question, I can simply ask this and find a commentary, which is simply a journal of someone, a scholar who breaks things down verse by verse by verse and explains what they mean for us here and now. So ask questions. You're not dumb for asking questions. As a matter of fact, if you want to grow, you need to do as much. We need to know how to read this because when we know how we can know why. Acts chapter 8, verse 32. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's the water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. The Bible is a gateway to experiencing God. This book, I'm going to ruin the ending for you, okay? This book is about God and his people over thousands of years. And the whole purpose of the book is showing how God cares, loves, and is there for his people over and over and over again. See, the old Ethiopian's reading this like a sheep to the slaughter. His life was taken from him, and he's going, who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself? I don't get it. It feels like he's talking about somebody else, but I don't know who it is. So Philip goes, hey, let me tell you something. Who he's talking about, he wrote this years ago, but it's a prophecy about this man named Jesus, who he was perfect. He was sinless. He did nothing wrong. He was the best human being to ever walk this planet. But he went to the cross. He was deprived of his life. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. Because he took my junk and your junk and all of it upon him and nailed it to the cross, Ethiopian. So that's why is talking about it. And so what happens here is we see in verse 38, the Ethiopian's going, I get it. I get it. It makes sense. So he says, hey, stop the chariot. There's water right here. I get it. I've been in Jerusalem. I've seen people worship. Now I know who Jesus is. I want to do something about it. I want Jesus close to me. I want him in my life. So they get out and Philip baptizes him right then and there. Internal change for this Ethiopian happened when he got into this book. He had seen God move. He had seen what happened when they worshiped at Jerusalem. But when he understood who Jesus was in his entirety, it changed him from the inside out because he understood that what Jesus did on the cross was for him. The Ethiopian undoubtedly had a lot of stuff in his life that he wasn't proud of. But when this sinless, perfect Sheep goes to the slaughter. For him, he wanted to do something about it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree Planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. How we read the Bible is directly connected to why we read the Bible. If you're just looking to cross this off, I'm gonna read my two chapters today, I'm gonna to think about what we're gonna have for dinner and I got a whole bunch of stuff, but all I'm gonna keep on reading. Okay, we're done, we're good. It's not gonna spark internal change. But when you go to get alone with God and you open this book and you see who God is and you read about him, it changes you from the inside out. The psalmist says you're like a tree planted by streams of water. It can be dry, there can be no rain, but when you're planted next to the stream, it doesn't matter. When you're planted next to the stream, they can sing bring rain and wind and everything, but they're rooted in who they are or bad when you're planted nothing can shake you I'm not saying that if you read this Bible all of your problems go away But when you're in this word, I want you to see how God can speak to you and speak to your situation. When you're going through all of the rufflings of, what's my purpose in life? I feel like I'm just in this cycle of just like, my work's not fulfilling, I'm not fulfilled in my life. What's my purpose? And you wrestle with that. And you read a story in this book about a man named David who was the eighth in his family, overlooked, overlooked, literally reserve is scooping up sheep poop and that's it. God's saying, hey, you're the king of Israel to come. You're awesome. And you go, maybe I'm just like David. You read about Judges chapter six, Gideon, who is hiding for his life. I preached on this a few weeks ago. He is like overlooked. He feels weak and God's saying, hey, you buddy, I'm gonna use you and you alone deliver my people. You go, I feel like Gideon. Maybe God can do the same thing for me. When you feel tossed around by the waves of life and nothing in your life is going right, you try to do this and bad comes. You try to do the right thing and more bad comes. You go, what gives? You read of a man named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his family, but God came through for him in due time. When you're trying to grow and become a better version of yourself, you read about this man named James who goes, you gotta be quick to listen and slow to become angry. When you're riding the highs and lows of life, this book has a story that you can empathize with and understand with. And here's the best part about it, the whole thing. Hebrews chapter 13, eight says this, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does that mean? That means when God split the Red Sea wide open and let his people walk through, he's the same God who can move in your life too. He's the same God who cares about you that much to be with you through all of your stuff. He's the same yesterday, thousands of years ago, as he is today. And guess what? He's the same one tomorrow. So things might be going great now, but guess what? He's going to be with you forever. It's been the one thing about growing my maturity with God is every time the storm of life gets crazier and more intense. I'm not going to lie to you. I get worried and scared when I see the waves around me. But the time of fear is less because I go, Look what God did. He's going to do it again. But we don't have that understanding if we don't get into this book. So here's the thing. A lot of you in here know I'm a runner. Why? Again, not sure. But the thing about running is when you run by yourself, it's a lot harder to persevere through the tough part. When you run with a group, you push each other. So as a church, I want us to understand that when we read this book, we connect with God. So let's read it together. Because I know there's a lot of people who go, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Oh, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. All these different things that come with it. But I want to do it together. Because I believe when we read it, we're gonna be like the Ethiopian who goes, I want more of God now. So here's what we're gonna do. As a church, we're gonna read together. Starting tomorrow, as a church, we're going to read Matthew chapter 1. Tuesday, Matthew chapter 2. Wednesday, Matthew chapter 3. You can read it on your own time, in your own place, in your own way. But we're doing it together. And here's how we're going to do it. If you want to know how I prepare a message, it's right here. If you want to know how I read a Bible, it's right here. Soap. Teenagers need a lot of it. Soap, scripture, observations, application, and prayer. When you look at a Bible verse or a Bible chapter, write it down. What's the scripture? Matthew chapter one. Got that one. Done. Observations. What stuck out to me? In this particular story, my observations were the Ethiopian was going from north to south. Got it. He had a chariot, so... Must have some good money. Philip, oh yeah, he's an apostle. Those are observations. But the application is, I'm just like the Ethiopian eunuch. I don't understand the Bible. So I gotta ask questions like he did to Philip. That's an application. And at the end, you pray. Our mission at the church is to see people come alive in Christ. But as we see from the Ethiopian, the way to do that is to know who he is in his entirety. And the way to do that is to read this book. So here's what we're going to do as a, as a church. On your way out today, our office admin Bethany, she's amazing. She printed off these little half sheets of paper with soap on them. So if you for like me and you forget, what's soap? What's S? I don't get it. It's right there. But what's going to happen is starting tomorrow as a church, we're going to read Matthew chapter 1 together. On your own time, in your own way, But on Facebook, you're going to find tomorrow my soap. I'm going to write down my scripture. I'm going to write down my observations, my applications, and my prayer. And you can read it. So when you read it and you go, I don't get what this is saying, you can go from there. And on Tuesday, Riley's soap is going to be on Facebook. Wednesday is going to be Bethany's, so on and so forth. So not only are we reading together, but we're understanding together. And there's going to be life change as a result of it. if you don't have Facebook, come talk to me. I will personally send you a screenshot of every soap we have because I believe in it that much. When you walk out this door, the enemy doesn't want you to read this book. So he's going to try and throw everything in your way to get from reading this. But What does that say about the importance of it? You got to be in this book. And as a pastor, as a church, we're going to lock arms and do it together. So if you're new to the Bible, guess what? There's going to be a lot of people who are new to the Bible with you. And to be perfectly real, as someone who has a degree in biblical theology, I still learn about it every single time I read it. So you're not alone. Mark my words you spend the next 28 days with us going through the Bible something will begin to shift in your life externally or internally I'm not sure but I promise you something's gonna shift if you read it to understand it it did for the Ethiopian and it will for you and I let's pray Jesus I thank you I thank you that your word is alive and active which means God that as we read the stories of generations past, they inspire us today. Jesus, I thank you that you hung on that cross, sinless and perfect in every way, but you did it because you want to take my sin, my junk, my mistakes, and nail them to that cross so I could live free and purpose-filled in Jesus' name. I pray, God, for anyone in this room. They've been running from you. They don't know you. They've never accepted you. But they want more of you. They want this loving God that I'm talking about. God, I pray that they would know all they have to do is in their own time, in their own way, say, God, I've made some mistakes, made some sins. Would you forgive me? I believe in you. And in that moment, Jesus, you walk right with them. But God, I pray for the Bridge Church. I pray for those in our community, those that will hear this sermon. I pray, God, that you would speak to them. You'd stir their heart. And as they open up your word, would you meet them there? Would would words just hop off the page? And would they just know who you are and how purpose-filled they are because of how much you love them? Jesus, I believe you're shifting something in the air. So, would you do a new and a fresh work in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? This has been a podcast of the Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.